Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue in America. I'm Suzanne Lasser. I'm Yarina Sancion, and this is Bilingual in America. Hi, I'm Yarina Sancion. To say that COVID has changed the world of education is a huge understatement. Educators have been thrust into an evolutionary shift of blended instruction, whether they were ready or not. As we continue to traverse in this world of learning and technology, how do we move forward? Lucy Roman, who has served as an instructional technology coordinator and media specialist in a major school district, talks with me and gives us the broad scope of what is digital literacy and how bilingual families and students can be supported as we move forward in this new landscape of blended learning. Let's listen in. Lucy, so grateful that you can join us today to talk about this really important issue among um, our bilingual families. So what do you see as the state of digital literacy among our bilingual households? Before I begin with the digital literacy among the bilingual households, I really have to explain to you that digital literacy is really part of media literacy as well as information literacy. And so it's all built right in. And so as a result, we need to be able to um, understand what it's a subset of information literacy. And digital literacy really is the knowledge and skills as well as the ethical responsibility needed to navigate and use all types of media. So not just um, the computers, but also TV, internet, computer programs, databases, video games, social media, and electronic communication. And the reason I, I focus on social media is that in the bilingual household, I believe that social media is the key for their communication with family members. Some people communicate via social media quite a bit, especially if family members are, you know, like in another country, in another state, they've been using a lot of Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp as a way to communicate with them. So that's that piece. But the digital literacy skills that are needed in order for the students or parents or the households to really take advantage of those resources are a number of them. And I'm going to list a couple of those because I think it's important. It's important for them to really effectively use and evaluate resources that are online. And I think that's something that many bilingual households may not realize. I think parents parents in a bilingual household don't realize that these resources are important for students and they don't realize the importance of being able to evaluate. Because what happens is they'll see something on the internet and they'll automatically forward it to their their mother or their aunt or their cousin and look at this this is this is what's being said without truly vetting it 
not understanding how to evaluate the validity and the credibility of the resources that are there. So that's a piece of it in terms of effectively using digital resources in a household. Many, many parents, and I don't think it's just bilingual. I don't think it's just bilingual. I think it's actually in regular households, but much more in bilingual households because in bilingual households, they may not be getting it in the education field either, in the classrooms. I see. So what would you suggest as a roadmap to bridge the digital divide that we're seeing now that, you know, students are experiencing remote learning from home? To begin with, what we would first have to do, so if you're looking at remote learning from home, I think a big piece of it, we have to make sure that the access is fully there. So if you're doing, to me, I would have started out with some type of survey to find out what are the resources that are available in the home, the devices that are available in the home, and who are the people that are going to be using it. So for example, if you have the parent that is being asked to work from home and there's one computer, that's not going to work because you have the student who may have to be on at a particular time while the parent is also trying to do her work or his work, and it, it may not work as well as what type of internet access do they have? Do they have internet access? That's been a big issue, I think, in some households. So for schools to be able to look at that and say, okay, what do we need to have in terms of internet access that's available for everybody in the household? What number of devices do I need to have available in that household? You may have a kindergarten student, you may have a first grade, a seventh grade student, a high school student, a college student, all in the same household not being able to use multiple devices when a parent says oh yes i have it i do i use facebook are they using it you know they'll say they have internet are they using it on the phone or are they using it on a computer on a tablet it all varies so part of it would be really doing the survey to determine what is needed in the household before moving forward and then ensuring that they have that access to the device as well as the internet access. And that means that may mean working with the community, working with the school district, working with government agencies. Like I know in New York City, they said, this is what we need to provide. This is how we're gonna put it. And we'll put all that information out there. But so that's the device piece, right? The access to the internet and the devices. Then you have another big piece of communicating with parents, what is actually needed, what is going to be if we're looking at this environment right now that we're living in, how is it that we're going to be communicating with your child, giving them the resources that they need? How are we going to take that information that they need to continue to learn, but how are we gonna provide it for them? And what are the expectations for them getting on? Are we gonna have a schedule for them to get on? Are you expecting them to have access to specific resources where they're writing and then taking pictures and then uploading it? What is the learning management system that's being used to help organize all of that work? And those are pieces that the schools and the organizations that are providing the access to the students need to take into account. And then educating parents of the resources that are available, the free resources, like a Rosetta Stone or like RAS Kids or like, you know, Tumble Books is available. Please ensure that your child, even though outside the teacher may have said, you do this, this, and this. Outside of that, have them read a book. Make sure that even if they don't have access to books at home, 
that you find them online, but that they actually continue to read, which is so important for all of our students, but specifically for bilingual students who are still trying to manage in both languages and continue to grow and, and get that command of the English language. Um, one other piece would be then educating your educators and providing the professional development for the educators to determine how they're going to not only give activities that are more like drill and practice, the basic stuff, but how are you going to challenge the students' thinking? How can you use your technology to challenge student thinking and take it to the next level so that the students are not getting bored online because they're doing the same monotonous stuff? They want to be able, you want to be able to create an environment that excites them, that builds some curiosity in some way. And that may be through like virtual tours. There's all kinds of museum resources that are now available that are free for teachers to be able to use to engage the students because you have to engage them in a different way. And that's a big piece, motivating them even physically in some way. You know, now that the weather is getting nice, you're doing a science unit or something, or you're doing even a writing unit. You have them go out to the backyard or you have them go to the street, go see, close your eyes and see what you hear if you're doing a poetry unit. Just getting them incorporating some of the things that you have to do at home. You know, uh, you know tonight, tonight when your mother's cooking, close your, close your eyes and go into the kitchen and see if you can smell what it is, if you can guess what your mother's gonna cook tonight or your father's going to cook. And then get the government to really continue to provide the resources that are needed because it's not it's not going to end soon enough and we need to make sure that all of our parents have everything that they need and can i add one more of course it's so critical that i think uh ways of addressing looking at ways of addressing the social and emotional issues that parents as well as students are going through during these times you know, you're in a household where it's very small, where you don't have a lot of support. How are you going to do it? How are you going to support those students who may lose it after a while, who are in a household where it's too small, where they don't have an outlet? And what are we doing as educators to provide that social and emotional support that's needed? Your answer encompasses so many key things from, you know, doing a survey to just get a sense of what's needed to some basic education to raising the bar and and really creating a a platform of true engagement where we're not just doing maintenance and then looking at the complete child that social emotional piece i really appreciate the completeness of your answer it really shows that that remote learning while it's happening in your household it's still our educational responsibility to, to teach the whole child. Mm -hmm. And I, I really do see that in your answer, in your commitment. I was wondering if you would share with me, you know, you're a true Latina, bilingual, an overcomer. And I know that you've had lots of challenges yourself as you navigated through your life, if you would maybe share one story where you felt that you you overcame something that really influenced the decisions that made you who you are today. Okay, I, I will, I will. I just wanna share one thing before this though. Yarina, this doesn't have to be part of it. One of the things that I, I remember so clearly, in probably like in third grade or fourth grade, 
uh, you know, those SRA kits that you had to do, that kids had to do to improve reading yes. and so on. I remember doing them and then getting back to our desk and filling out some worksheet or something. And there were pictures of, of a vegetable that because of where you come from, you may not be familiar with that vegetable. And I remember that being so clearly put in my head that, you know what, even the, besides the language, the cultural differences when in a classroom that can really stifle a student because a student may not be aware of that and then as a result not be able to share what his or her thinking is because they don't understand something as simple as what's the picture of that, you know, may have been, uh, I don't know, a cucumber or it may have been something that he or she may not have been aware of due to the cultural differences. So that was something extra that I just wanted to share with you because that was something that I also had to deal with as an older student. But I'll share with you the story as an undergrad going in for education. I was going in originally for business education at a, at a private school and I got there through a HIA program which really provided support for students who had the ability, who had shown the ability to do it academically, but may not have the funding to be able to, to go to attend the school. And my first education course was a foundations of education course. And it was um, a full class. Uh, I may have had maybe 40 peers in that classroom. And I remember as I may have been reading or doing a presentation, my remember afterwards, my professor telling me, that I could not be an educator unless I, I had a Brooklyn accent and I could not be an educator unless I corrected that Brooklyn accent. And that really concerned me because then afterwards, so I said he actually required that I attend a speech class, that I take a speech class prior to taking any other education classes. And that was very disturbing knowing, you know, you have people of all languages in all countries that come and teach and do a great job teaching. But that's what I was told. And at the end of the class, I received a grade that I believe did not earn, that I had not earned. I had earned a better grade than what I had received. And fortunately, due to the support of this PIA program that I was in, I was able to contest the grade and show that my work for that class, really with that work, I had earned a better grade than what he had given me. It seemed like he had misperceptions that stopped him from giving me the grade that I actually deserved for the work that I did in that class. And it was brought up to the faculty, the chairman of the department, and eventually they changed the grade because of that. And it was all, and I would not have been able to do that on my own because I think I, based on how he had approached me at the beginning of the class and throughout the class, I would say, you know, I was made this small, was made as a felt not to be worthy of being in the class, but I stuck through it, I did it. And then with the support, I was able to continue to move forward and then get what I deserved in the long run and turning out to be somebody who's an educator who really looks to support other students and other educators so that they can you know move students forward as much as possible and then here yet here you are 
In your last role, you were the coordinator of the Instructional Technology Library Media and Business Education. And what an awesome, awesome testimony of how many years of service? 37 years of service. In education. Years. And so I thank you for not letting that comment stop you in your tracks. I applaud that you uh, seeked out support so that you could do it with a tribe. And I'm proud to say that you didn't let that stop you, that you overcame that and that you did the work that needed to happen and that your contribution to education counts because of that decision you made. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for acknowledging all of this. This is great. So what can we as educators do to address the gaps in students and families' information and media literacy skills? Because information literacy is critical to the life in the digital age, it should be incorporated in all subject areas and all parent training. That means it should be discipline-based or connected to curriculum and context. Rather than a standalone course that teaches information literacy without any connection to existing content or curriculum, a discipline-based approach connects students and parents with relevant resources and provides opportunities for meaningful context-based learning. In order to have a democracy and a free society, we have to rely on the discernment and judgment of each and every citizen that can only happen through education. That's one way of speaking our technology beauty. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support. Follow us, like us, share us.